Welcome to the old school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, my name's Corey. I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor um, and a type 1 diabetic, and it's really nice to be here. Um, I uh, Can you guys hear me okay? Uh, Jonna, I see you can I, you can't hear me, but other people can hear me. Okay, so I'm gonna just go. Uh, sorry. You, you're good. Okay. Um, uh, so first of all, so let me just share with you um, some pictures. Um, so. Uh, on the left, so this is high school graduation on the left, college graduation. Um, I don't know when this third one is. The The guy I was attached to was my brother. Um, and then the one on the right is me now, um, or that picture was taken about six months ago, but that's, um, that's generally what I look like these days, up and down a few pounds, but um, as women do. Um, and what I was like was, um, so, so I'll, I'll tell you a bit. Um, I was raised in a family where food was the language. Um, it's how we showed love. It's how we ab abused each other. It's how we everything. It's how we everything. And um, I, I'm pretty sure, although it's not my business, but that everyone, in at least in my immediate family, had food issues in, in some way or another. Um, I was a normal eater until uh, at the age of nine, I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. And Treatments are a little bit different these days with insulin pumps and all that sort of stuff. Um, but back then, it was here, here, you have to eat what's on this page, don't eat more, don't eat less, you have to eat exactly this, because you have to match the insulin that you've got going into you and here, take it and do it. And I was nine and and I, um, prior to the, the compulsive overeating switch getting flipped, um, I didn't really care much about food. It wasn't a big issue. There were things I didn't like to eat. There were lots of desserts that I didn't like to eat. My mom was a cook and a baker, and she was the second runner-up for the Pillsbury Bake Off. Um, and I, uh, you know, she would let me lick the batters and things like that, and all those fun things when when kids are little. But it it wasn't. I didn't think about it after. It just sort of was. You know, was fun being with my mom and bonding with her. But and she made desserts that I didn't like, I, I, you know, certain things I wasn't a big fan of. And it, and it was, and I made note of um, once that switch got flipped and I started eating like a truck driver, my dad used to say, um, I noticed that there were things that I might not have liked the taste of, but they were no longer off the table for me. I just, I was obsessed with food and um and I wanted more and more and more. I wanted to eat all the time. And I didn't know at that time, I mean, I was little, I was nine. I didn't know that that was associated with feelings. Um, all, although whatever my feelings were, I, you know, as a compulsive overeater, I, um, food is my substance. So um, an allergy of the body, right? We talk about that in the big book they, with regard to alcohol, but that's 
the, the way that it was for me. Um, growing up, you know, I had those lovely memories with my mom when I was little of her baking and all that, but my family was extremely dysfunctional. There was lots of abuse in many different directions, sexual, physical, emotional, um, verbal, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of shame. And um, food, you know, food, food was my friend, my only friend that I didn't feel judged by. And I felt judged by everybody else. And I've come to realize now that I'm, you know, I'm 56 and I've gone to high school reunions that and talking to people, this one woman was like, oh my God, you're the nicest person I've ever met. And I thought in high school that, and by the way, not everyone thinks that about me, but that one person did. And in high school, I thought everyone hated me. Everyone thought I was a loser. Like I just had all these preconceived notions about how other people thought about me based on what I thought about me, which is what I heard from my parents, although I don't, I, I know that they loved me, but that was, I just got some really difficult messages. Um, and a lot of messages about my weight, particularly when I started gaining weight, because I was a scrawny little kid before um, I started compulsively overeating. And, um, and I put weight on the first couple of years that I just was really overeating after I was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, and my father had certain ideas about how women should Five look. minutes. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up the what it was like. But um, as I got to be a teenager, and um, my father had certain ideas about what women should look like in order to attract a man. And, um, and he was happy to tell me that. Um, there also my family was very over both my parents were very over sexualized. And my dad would gawk at women when we were around and my mother would talk about men and sexual escapades. And, and it was, I, I, I didn't know about myself at the time that that was very uncomfortable for me because I didn't have a barometer for like, this is comfort. This is, nobody narrated that for me when I was a kid. Um, so um, <clears throat> I got to college and I was, I was doing a mixture of both eating and restricting. And as a type one diabetic with all this insulin rushing through my body, um, when I would restrict, I would pass out and I'd wind up in the emergency room. Um, and when I was overeating, I was like stoned and exhausted and didn't get my work done. And I'm not a stupid person, but I was not a good student in um, undergrad or even in high school or before. Um, and I'm grateful that I found, uh, I my sister needed company going to an Al-Anon meeting. I was home during a summer vacation from college and I went to Al-Anon with her um, and I liked the honesty there. I won't talk a lot about that, but it was my gateway to get to OA. Um, I really liked the honesty. People were talking about feelings and they had words for feelings that I I wouldn't have thought to, I, and, I, and I knew the English language, my parents, were both court reporters and corrected my grammar and spoke affluently and um, and I understood the language that they were speaking, but I just I didn't have that kind of repertoire for feelings. I had probably hungry and ashamed were probably my two feelings, and neither of those are really feelings. I don't think. Um, about nine months after I got into Al-Anon, I always say that my first spiritual experience in OA was that I mentioned to someone in Al-Anon that I was struggling with my food. And she said to me, oh, I go to OA. Do you want to go to OA with me? And I said, 
no, <laughs> I'm not interested in going to OA with you. I don't struggle in those ways. I was kind of offended. And I, um, I said, I, uh, no, no, I just need to straighten up my food. I got this. And I really did think that. I mean, I probably if we took a poll in here, like who before you found program thought if you could just figure out how to straighten out your food, you'd be okay, right? A lot of us, I think, felt that way. Um, and eventually, after talking with her about with my about my food a few times, I went to a meeting with her and I loved it. I loved you guys from the moment that I've met you. And the one thing that I've done perfectly in all of these years, um, and I got to OA in 1989. Uh, the one thing I've done perfectly is continue to come back. There were times where work was crazy and I, I got to one meeting a week, which is not enough for me, but I got to that one meeting a week and, and generally had commitments at that meeting. Um, I, uh, I didn't understand that things were a little bit different back then. We didn't have our own literature yet in OA. We, we relied on the AA literature. So that's what I was raised on. Um, we uh, and um, I and we didn't have the tool of food plan. We had the tool of abstinence, and I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't ask because I didn't ever ask. <laughs> I didn't, um, you know. I, I I come from one of those families where you're supposed to know stuff before you have the opportunity to learn. So I learned not to ask it when I didn't understand something. I just figured it out on my own. So I tried to figure out abstinence and I had known what a diet was because I was raised, my mom was an anorexic and a bulimic and always on Weight Watchers. And um, in some ways I learned from my mom what a meal is by by the Weight Watcher plan. Like, I, I, and I was grateful for that, but um, I so I, I I tried to make abstinence a diet and and I didn't talk about it. I got a sponsor pretty quickly. I didn't talk about it with her because I I just figured why would you talk about your food with your sponsor? That just seemed weird. So um and um and I but I did talk about it with her when I thought I broke my abstinence and I had this like perfect abstinence. I thought that was like no this no this no this none of this. Um, what I thought you, I had ideas about what I thought you thought about me. And I definitely had ideas about what you thought about my food, even though you were probably thinking about your own food. And I lived in a very small town. There were two meetings a week. And um, one Ten week, minutes. thank you, one week after uh, the Saturday meeting, we all went out to breakfast. And I don't remember what I ordered, but I'm sure it was the diet plate. Um, and probably had them hold things off the diet plate because I was worried that all these people were going to be thinking about my food. And I remember someone at the table ordered um, pancakes and put syrup on her pancakes. And some people in here don't eat sugar. Uh, some people do. And this person did. And um, and I thought, oh, damn, I could have ordered pancakes and I wouldn't have gotten judged. And um, But I just didn't. It showed me like in that moment that people do all sorts of different things with their food. And and, and nobody even said to me, oh, you're eating the diet plate or whatever it was that I ordered. No one even noticed what I was eating. We were all more interested in talking with each other and they wanted to know what I thought about the program. And um, and, and I, it just was a whole completely different experience because in my family, people would have judged my food. So um, I, uh, and what I loved about the meetings were that you all talked about kind of shamelessly um, about the things that you had done with food in your history. 
And I remember one of those things was someone said that they threw food away in the trash and they went to the trash and got it out of the trash and ate it. And I didn't think I could ever share that with anybody. And they said it, and then I felt okay saying it. And there was such a freedom in the language um, about food. I, um, so let's see. Um, that was 1989. Like I said, I was, um, I, I moved back to Los Angeles in 1990. And I, I was a little bit nervous about coming back to the scene of the crime here in Los Angeles. Oh, crap. Let me turn off my phone. Um, and uh, sorry, I turned it on because the gas, gas company was coming today. Um, uh, and I knocked over my water. Um, so let's see, where was I? So, oh yeah, so I was, I was nervous about moving back to Los Angeles. I was sure that all of you in Los Angeles were gonna work a perfect program. Your food was gonna be perfect. There would be no room for my imperfections. Um, and I got here and you guys were just like I was, like, um, except I was still in my disease when I moved back. But I remember there was a Thursday night recovery from relapse meeting that I went to in the beginning. I loved that meeting. It was so gentle. And um, it was at the Westside Baptist Church, which is the perfect place for a nice Jewish girl. And, um, and uh, I remember sharing that I didn't think I had a right to be here because I didn't know if I had a desire to be, uh, to stop eating. And that's what you all read in the literature. Um, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating. And this woman leaned over after my share and said to me, but you're here. Maybe you do. And may maybe you're not done yet, but maybe you do. And I, and I just got such a sense of LA people and the love that was here. And um, somehow I learned because we're in the little town where I lived in, there wasn't a lot of service to do. I learned here to get busy and I jumped in and I did tech at the birthday party play. Um, and Shana will remember some of those. Um, I, uh, and then I was in the birthday party plays, which is a birthday party is a convention that we do every year to honor the founding of OA. Um, I started going to a ton of meetings in the beginning. I went to, I don't know, probably nine to 10 meetings a week. I went to lunchtime meetings and evening meetings. And um, I didn't have much of a life outside of OA. I, and, and I moved back in with my family when I first got here. And then I got a job. Someone in these rooms, um, I, I mentioned that I was trying to figure out whether to go to graduate school or get a job. And she said, oh, there's a job at my company. And I wound up working there for 31 years. And I retired a year ago, May, um, in May of 2021 from this program. See, see what can happen when you come to meetings. Um, I, uh, there's, and there's so much, you know, beyond managing my food, um, I learned here how to live. I learned how to be an adult. I learned, um, I have a whole sheet. Let me see if I can pull it up. I, um, uh, when I'm, one of the things that I do these days, and I've been doing this for a while is when I hear something in a meeting that I really resonate with, um, or one of you says something that I think, wow, that's just amazing and beautiful. I write it down. Um, I used to write it in the um, in the margins of my big book, and then there were no, there wasn't much room left in those margins because I was writing everything that I heard, and I had a hard time going back and finding it when I wanted to find it. So I created a a document called Between the Lines, which is you know all the thank you crap. All right, there's not a lot of time, but um, 
and I put all that stuff in my big book on my between the lines document. I pulled it out from between the lines in my big book and I wrote it down and, um, Oh, I didn't talk at all. So I have just a few minutes left. I want to talk about, so how does that happen? How could I not have control for lack of a better term over my food? And I came in here and it happened. Well, so it's a spiritual program. And um, when I came in, I didn't believe in God. I was raised really culturally in my religion of origin. And I loved the culture, but I didn't believe in God. I would have fought with anyone that told me that I should believe in God. But I came in here and you all had a spark. And, and I wanted it. And so in the beginning, people started talking about, I heard people talk about believing in this higher power and that they got abstinent from, uh, with the help of a higher power. And I didn't get it. I said it, I parroted it back because I thought that's what you did when you're here. And I didn't want you all to throw me away. But I learned over the years, um, like things happened to me where I started to believe in something bigger than me. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, I also learned that it doesn't matter what my higher power is, I just have to know that it's not me. And, and I had, I just, I'll tell you about my day, and I don't have a lot of time to jump into the, um, all of the spiritual stuff, but I, I, I was home today, so I'm retired, I'm working part-time in my own business, um, but I have a lot of time on my hands, and today I was home, and I, um, the cable guy was coming, because our we had an issue with our cable box. And then, um, so I thought, what a great day to have the gas company come out and light my pilot light on my fireplace. So when it gets cold, it's already lit. And, um, and they said, okay, we'll give you a call time between eight in the morning and eight at night. And I, and so I was home all day today and I was really resentful. I didn't get my walk. And you know what I wanted all day? I wanted to eat. And you know why I didn't want to eat? Because as soon as I wanted to eat, I hit my knees and I said, please don't. I'm speaking at a meeting tonight. This is not a great day for me to, you know, eat everything that's in my fridge, which is what my head wanted. And, and my, my disease tells me you're hungry. And what I know is that I was bored. You know what I mean? Like I have a, I have like a dictionary now and that, that dictionary comes straight through my higher power. I'm bored. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm, you know, whatever. And I'm working, you know, I, I, I work in my office a couple of days a week, but my wife is still working from home and she's here all of the time. And so, and when we're together all of the time, if you're not in a relationship, you think there's something really magical about it. It's too much. And she would even hear, and she may be in the other room on her headphones or not, but she would hear that, you know, and she would say, yeah, it is kind of too much. She can't wait to go back to the office. Um, but so there was a lot in my day today. Minutes. Thank you. So I'll just wrap it up. There was a lot in my day today that I would have totally eaten over before. And, and one day at a time, I just, I have this dictionary that happens to me because I have time in the program that says, it's not time to eat. You're not hungry. You're just bored or, and you're resentful because you got stuck here all day. So um, there's so much more that I didn't get a chance to share, but it works. It really does. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening.